0: Well, good morning. Good to worship with you today. If you're new here, my name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors. I have the privilege of bringing you the word today and I'm excited to do so. But before we do that, a couple of quick announcements. One, uh, don't forget we have baptisms coming up. We're going to do baptisms Easter weekend. Uh, Easter weekend we'll have a Saturday night service and our normal Sunday morning services. We're going to do baptism at all three. And so If you've been considering baptism, now is a great time to let us know. Pastor Marty will be following up with those who have uh, expressed interest in baptism and and walking you through that process, helping you make a decision about whether or not baptism is right for you at this time. So you can let us know on that Connect card that you see in front of you. You can fill that out online by scanning the QR code. Either way, just let us know that you would like to be included uh, in baptisms this year or that you'd like to talk about uh, being baptized. Also, we have our annual report uh, out in the fellowship area. I don't know if we should, maybe we should come up with a different name because that does not sound exciting at all, does it? but it is. It's really a book of testimonies. It's, it's a fantastic, I was looking through it the other day and I was like, yeah, that was awesome. And that was awesome. And it was just encouraging to look back over what God did over the last year. And so please take one of those with you. We prefer you take one per household so that we have enough for everybody today, but you'll see them in the fellowship area on your way out. We'd love for you to have that. In addition to looking back on what God has done in 2023, there's uh, some things of looking forward in there of what we're hoping to to accomplish in the year to come. And so great time to take a peek at that. January is almost over. That's crazy, isn't it? This is the last Sunday in January. I never miss January. I'm glad to see it go, but uh, God has been good and it's been a good month. So what we're going to do today is this is actually the last sermon of the discipleship pathway. But before we move on from this sermon series. Next week, I'm going to talk about the one thing that everybody loves when the preacher talks about money. (laughs) And so, yeah, you can tell by the reaction. (laughs) You're like, are you serious? (laughs) Um, We don't talk about money often. We probably don't talk about money enough. I know that may sound strange if you're new here uh, and have perhaps been in churches where money is all they talk about, but it's a very important subject and it is not only a, uh, a, a an indicator of our spiritual health, how we handle the resources that God has given us, but it's, a, it's an amazing tool that God has given us to accomplish his work here on earth. And so so we'll talk about that next week. I uh, encourage you to come and, and to be a part of that. But, but after that, we're gonna go into Romans. And Romans will actually take us through most of 2024. And Romans is... One of the, I I shouldn't have gone down this road. I want to say Romans is the most important book in the Bible. And that's probably true. That's probably fair. It's probably fair to say that. Um, But Romans, uh, without any doubt, is the lengthiest and most thorough exposition of the gospel that we find in the Bible. And so what we're really going to do in 2024 is we're going to enjoy the gospel. We're, we're going to take part in the gospel. And in order for, to prepare us for that, on Friday, February 9th, if I have that, yes, it is the 9th. Uh, I just checked with my mental calendar. It, uh, we're going to read through the entire book of Romans. It takes about an hour to read through the book of Romans in one sitting. And so we have a service plan for that evening. We're gonna sprinkle in some prayer. We're gonna sprinkle in some worship. And we're just gonna gather together here in God's presence and read through. This is how the book of Romans would have originally been read. This was a letter that Paul sent to the, to the Christians in Rome. And when they got that letter, no doubt they would have stood up in front of a congregation of people and read it out loud, uh, in, in, in one sitting. And so that's what we want to do. We want to experience God's word in that way. And so this is, um, also good news for anybody who is behind on the Bible reading plan, because Romans is where we're at in the Bible reading plan right now. And if you come that night, you'll get 16 chapters. That's over three weeks worth of reading done. And so it's a win-win. And so if if you want to join us on Friday, February 9th, 630, we're going to read through the book of Romans together. The following Sunday, we'll get into the Romans sermon series. So Very much looking forward to that. But today, let's talk about disciples. The message today is titled, Disciples Make Disciples. If you've been here any of the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what we call the discipleship pathway. The general general progression of spiritual maturity that Christians follow along. And we all start out as seekers, those who have need of responding to the gospel. And if we respond to the gospel message, then we can be considered believers. And believers become followers when when they start to actually obey the commands that Jesus gave. But ultimately, God is not after just believers. He's not after just followers. He is very specific in what he wants. He wants disciples. He wants disciples who have embraced the process of spiritual maturity for their lives. And what is distinctive about disciples? Well, one major distinction uh, of disciples is that disciples make other disciples. Disciples are reproducing believers. I want to point you to a couple of passages we're gonna look at a lot of scripture uh, passages today. I encourage you to write down the addresses. These might be helpful to uh, refer back to. In fact, if you have the handout that we give you on the way in, you can turn it over to the back. There's a place to take notes there. First, we're gonna look at Matthew chapter four. This is the account of Jesus calling his, Jesus calling his first disciples. He's calling them not only to follow him, But as we'll see, he's calling them to be disciples who make disciples. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 says, As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Verse 20 says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Did you notice that Jesus' intention in calling these men to follow him was actually to make them reproducing disciples? You're actually going to go fish for people now. You're actually going to go cast the net, not on the sea, but you're going to cast a spiritual net and bring people into the kingdom of God. He would appear to those same people roughly three years later after his resurrection And say this, we find it in Matthew chapter 28, commonly called the Great Commission. It says in verse 18, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples. As we consider these texts today, I invite you to pray with me as we prepare our hearts for God's word. Father, we thank you for this chance to look into your plan, not only for those first century disciples, but your plan for those of us who sit here today. For those of us who are, who are listening to this word here in the 21st century, that we also might become fishers of men that we might not just be believers that we would be mature disciples who make other disciples we believe this is your will and so we ask for your help we ask these things in Jesus' name amen how how can we be disciples who make disciples Assuming you've embraced this call to spiritual growth, assuming you've embraced the call not only to believe in Jesus and not only to follow him, but to be workers in his kingdom, how do we go about this? Well, I wanna, I wanna make a few observations from what we see these early disciples. This is the account that we have in scripture, these, these first century disciples, the, beginning with some of these men that Jesus called who were out fishing one day, and he he called them and he says, Hey, you want to fish for men instead? And they drop their nets and they go and they follow him. Well, in the same way, Jesus comes into our lives and we're doing whatever task it is that, that we've found meaningful in life or found necessary in life, and he calls us to a greater purpose, a greater mission. He says, How do you feel about making disciples? How do you feel about following me and changing the world? That's, that's the call to discipleship. So let me just make a few observations from these early disciples. You see this on your handout. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, I almost, I'm going to skip the, the first one. This is, this is where we begin. The first thing you see on the handout is this. When Jesus calls us to himself, he calls us to his work, which is making disciples. The Christian life is not not just a get out of hell free card. You trust in Jesus, he forgives your sins, and one day you get to die and go to heaven. The Christian life is a call to participate with Jesus in the work that he is doing to make disciples and to build his kingdom. It is a call not just to Jesus himself, it is a call to do the work that he is doing. And so with that in mind, how do we do this work? Here are my observations. You'll see this next thing on your handout. Disciples invite others to follow Jesus. Let's start with an easy one. Let's let's start with one that all of us can do today. Disciples invite others to follow Jesus this, I love what happens when, when Jesus calls those early disciples because it's something that everybody at any stage of spiritual maturity can do right now. Let's look at an example in John chapter one. Told you there was gonna be a lot of scripture today. John chapter one, starting in verse 40. And I'll read through verse 49 if you're writing down that address. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. That's John the Baptist. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah. This was after they had been introduced to Jesus, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. Okay, so there's, there's one, one disciple inviting another disciple. He went and he found his brother, Simon, and he told him, we have found the Messiah. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Okay, don't miss the simplicity of what is happening here. In In the first part of the passage, we have Andrew who begins to follow Jesus. And what is this great groundbreaking ministry idea that he has to tell somebody else that he has found Jesus? <laughs> so he does. And he starts with his brother. And his brother comes and begins to follow Jesus also. And then we get to, then we get to Philip. And Philip finds a guy named Nathaniel. And again, having having just he's ready to just blow us away with his theological acuity and his his genius way of reaching other people he says we have found the one Moses wrote about and he gets an objection can anything good come out of nazareth we get so we get so paralyzed by the fear that someone might object to our testimony we we invite somebody or we think we consider inviting somebody and say well what if they say something i don't know how to answer nathaniel just or philip just says come and see that's pretty that's that's pretty simplistic evangelism he said, he, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I don't know what's behind that. I don't, I don't know what Nathanael has against Nazareth. Uh, but I know Philip doesn't even have the answer. <laughs> he might agree. He might be thinking, I didn't think so either. But he doesn't even get into that. He just says, come and see. Then Jesus saw Nathanael, verse 47, coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. "'How do you know me?' Nathanael asked. "'Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, "'I saw you,' Jesus answered. "'Here's Nathanael, the one who was invited by Philip, "'who objected by saying that he didn't think anything good "'could come out of Nazareth. "'He says, "'Rabbi, you are the Son of God. "'You are the King of Israel.'" Now, I wish it always happened like that. I wish that every time we invite somebody to, to come and to, to to explore Jesus with us or to come and to participate in the body that we have here that instantly they were just in awe. But it doesn't always happen that way. But there's some important things that we ought to note here when it comes to inviting others to follow Jesus. One, we don't have to have all of the answers Don't wait until you know how to respond to every objection to invite people to follow Jesus. Why not just say to them, why don't you you explore for yourself? Why don't you come with me? Why don't you you research that? Come and see. And then let Jesus do the heavy lifting. Jesus is the one who convinced Nathanael Jesus is the one who won him over. And ultimately, that's our only hope of anybody coming to know Jesus. We can't save anybody. We can bear witness, which we'll talk about today. We can provide answers to the best of our ability. We can be a listening ear. We can do all of these things. We can be the inviters, but ultimately, Jesus has to convince them. There's another great example of this in John chapter four. I'm not gonna turn there and read it, but it's a familiar story of the Samaritan woman at the well and Jesus engages in this spiritual conversation with this woman who comes out to get water and she becomes convinced of who he is. She becomes convinced that he is the Messiah and she goes back to her village and the text tells us that many people in her village believed because of her testimony. And then the next step is they met Jesus and then the text tells us that now they no longer believe because of her testimony. They believe because they witnessed and experienced him for themselves. That's what we're trying. That's, that's, that's our goal. And that's our responsibility. That, I, I dare say, is the extent of our responsibility to, to make the introduction, to introduce people to Jesus and to allow him to do the work of saving them. How, how can we be disciples who make disciples? Well, it begins with inviting others. It begins with simply extending the invitation to the people that God has placed in our lives to come and to experience him as well. Now, there's a, there's a, a bit of a scale of invitation that we can participate on any level. We can, we can simply invite people to church. Don't underestimate The power of inviting people to come and to experience the power of being among the body of Christ. There's great witness, there's great testimony in what we do here on Sunday mornings. And a lot of people would be open to that. You'd be surprised at how many people might be willing to show up uh, at church with you. Now, you might have to bribe them with lunch afterwards. That's okay. (laughs) But don't underestimate the power of simply inviting people to come to church with you. But But we can't stop there because many people won't come to church with us. We need to witness too. We need to be able, we need to to have the ability to tell people what we have experienced in Jesus. We have to be able to share with them what it means to know Jesus. And so we ought to do our best to grow in the ability to do that. Disciples invite others. Next, the next thing you see on the handout is disciples provide an example others can follow. They provide an example others can follow. The world does not need more hypocritical church going Christians who do not live the life of following Jesus. There's Plenty of examples of that already now, let me balance this with we live by grace, and we all fail and we all stumble and we all fall, and we all make Jesus look bad at different times and in different ways however that's not that's not an excuse to live in blatant or fragrant uh, or, or flagrant sin the the call is to be an example that others can follow. Let me show you this from a couple of quick passages. James chapter 1, verse 22 clearly says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James makes clear that the call is not to just be hearers of the word. If, if your your idea of being a Christ follower is, Church attendance and hearing the word, if it's it's just consuming but not being transformed by what you hear, if it's just hearing what you ought to do and never putting into practice what you've been commanded to do, then that is not biblical Christianity. James actually says that those people have deceived themselves. We are called to be doers of the word. Disciples don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. And the, listen, the world is full of people with great advice. We need people who are great examples. We need people who are committed to following Christ, not just on Sunday mornings. We need people who are, fit, who are committed to following Christ on Monday morning when they go to work or when they go to school. We need people who are willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. We need people who are willing to forego the pleasures of sin so that we might be an example to others. Disciples provide an example others can follow. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. He says, "...Imitate me as I also imitate Christ." Those are some of the boldest words that I think the apostle Paul speaks in all of his letters. He has the audacity to say that if you imitate me, you will be further along in spiritual maturity. I Paul is so confident that he has set an example worthy of following that he actually invites, I think, Incredible scrutiny upon his own lifestyle. I don't, I I tend to want to hide and say, Don't, hey, don't, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Paul has the boldness to say, I have so committed myself to following Jesus, that if you follow me, you will be following him. Let that be a challenge to us. May we not be, may we not cowardly hide behind the grace of God and be unwilling to stand up. I mean, we, there ought to be somebody in your life that you're willing to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Do as I do. If, if you cannot honestly say that to anybody in your life, it's time to grow. It's time to, to grow in spiritual maturity. This is what it means to provide an example that others can follow. 2 Timothy, another one of Paul's letters, he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, in chapter 4. He says this, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Paul gets to the end of his life. He looks back. And well, he knows he knows he knows the end is coming. He's he's prison for the gospel. He's he, he can see the writing on the wall. He can see that this this is not going to result in freedom one more time, that this is this is it. He's gonna be executed for the gospel. And he looks back with confidence because he has set an example. For others to follow. It was was 1 Corinthians 11 Paul that led to 2 Timothy 4 Paul. It was living a life that others could follow as he imitated Christ, as he followed Christ, that led to peace at the end of his life that he had done all that he could do. think backwards for a moment how do you want your life to end i don't mean how do you want to die i mean what do you want your mental perspective to be on how you have lived your life i hope that you like paul want to look back and say i i ran the race i I lived my life for the sake of Christ. I lived the life of a disciple. I lived life for the kingdom of heaven. If you desire that, what are you doing today to get there? What, think, think from the end backwards. How do we get to a place where we can say, I did what God called me to do with my life. What would it look? What would it look like to come to the end of life and to look back and say, by the grace of God, I fought the fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. That's, that's what I hope for. That's my prayer for us, that we would live lives of faithful discipleship. That's why why we're doing this discipleship pathway. That's why we're challenging you to think about spiritual maturity. That's why we want to encourage you to grow, to take the next step, to start wherever you're at and start building a life that leads to, in the end, I'm going to look back and I'm going to say, I ran the race, I fought the fight. Not only did I invite others to follow him, I provided an example that others could follow. I really did it. I really lived life as a Christian. How many people do you think will be able to say that, percentage wise? How many people do you think are going to look back over their life and say, I did what God called me to do? May we be among the few. Next you'll see on the handout that disciples, provide, um, disciples bear witness to the truth. Disciples invite others to follow Jesus. Disciples provide an example others can follow. Disciples bear witness to the truth. One, one of the main responsibilities that Jesus gives to those first century disciples is to bear witness to the truth about him. He raises them up to be witnesses. He raises them up to to be a testimony and a witness to the truth in their generation and through the writing of scripture to all generations to come after. Very familiar words, Acts chapter 1, 8, Jesus. This is after Jesus's resurrection. He has appeared to his disciples on several occasions over the period of 40 days and now he is preparing to return to the Father. He's going to ascend back into heaven and he says to his disciples, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes upon them to empower them to be witnesses. If you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you say, well I don't know, I just I don't I'm not experiencing the Holy Spirit's presence or the Holy Spirit's power. Are you being witnesses? Because that's at least one area where he is guaranteed to be present and to 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 use his power in the lives of those who follow Christ. It is in the witnessing to To the truth about Jesus. Of course, it's been perhaps overstated, but it's worth stating here again. There's three phases of this witness, of this testimony. One is Jerusalem, that's where they're at. And so often people use this language to describe the place where you live. This is our Jerusalem lower borough, the surrounding area, whatever town you, you live in, this is our Jerusalem. And so first we're called to be witnesses here, but we're not called to stop there. He says to these disciples, you will not only be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, but in all Judea and Samaria, that's this surrounding region, that's basically all of Israel. And, and then he says, into the ends of the earth. What a responsibility to place on a small group of Christians if Jesus would stand in front of these few dozen believers who are present for this and say, I'm giving you the responsibility. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Disciples bear witness to the truth, and disciples have a responsibility not just to the people right in front of them, though that's your first responsibility, we have a responsibility to see to it that the gospel goes out, that there is witness to the truth all, everywhere that people live. In every tribe, every nation, every people group, every tongue needs to, bear, needs to hear the witness of the gospel. That's one of the reasons that we partner with folks who are going to places where there is no witness to the gospel. We have missionary partners that that are literally learning languages which have never had the gospel in their language. It's an important work that we have as disciples and we need to be diligent to support that. Some of us might be called to go and do that. It's a very important call for the church to respond to, to be witnesses to the truth, not just here in our Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth. The reason for this, Jesus shares in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt shall lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let's pause there for a second. First of all, it's, Jesus says something here that's kind of hard to understand, there are, I guess there are, I've read some guesses at what he means. What does it mean for salt to lose its saltiness? I don't know. The, you know, when it comes to chemistry, that's not really possible, I guess. I don't know. I slept a lot in that class, but I've heard <laughs> that salt can't lose its saltiness. Um, but the point is, I'm sure Jesus knows what he's saying. <laughs> it's just us that haven't caught up yet. But the point is, if, you're, if the salt isn't being salty, if it's not doing its job, Jesus says it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Sometimes people would try to, look, you, look, you can accept Jesus or reject Jesus, but what you can't do is you can't define who Jesus is according to what you want him to be. And sometimes people try to present Jesus as he was just this nice moral teacher who just taught us how to be better people. He said, if you're not going to do the work, you're not good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Some nice moral teacher. How many Christians, how many churches, how many ministry organizations have ceased to be salty? He says, you're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden In the same way, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus defines his people in two ways. You are salt and you are light. What do these two things have in common? They change their surroundings. You turn light on in a dark place, it changes everything. You add salt to my mom's cooking, it changes everything. <laughs> we used to joke because my mom, my mom was, growing up, my mom was always fav- famous for her casseroles. That means you just take a bunch of stuff that you don't really know how it's gonna turn out and put it in a casserole dish together and warm it up and then serve it to your kids. And one of my sister's friends was over one time and she was, she was being subjected to one of these casseroles, and um, she asked for the salt shaker, and she's sitting there, and she's like, "No, it, it's really good, Mrs. Neal, it's really good." And, and just like kept going with the salt forever. Like, the salt changes what you add it to. We are to be salty. We are to change the places that Jesus sends us to be his witnesses. Light changes things. Disciples are called to witness in this way. Listen, we're, we're living in a world that is growing darker all the time. Our world is casting off truth. We need to be light and we need to be salt finally right in line with these things the last thing you see on the handout disciples lay down their lives so others can live disciples lay down their lives so others can live back to our discipleship pathway but uh, ultimately we're all called we're all to be disciples and we're all either good disciples or bad disciples. Disciples is not a promotion that Jesus gives to Christians who have reached a level of maturity. However, we're using it in the discipleship pathway to help us understand the end goal of spiritual growth, and that is to be a disciple. And I hope you're noticing some of the distinctions and the differences between a believer or even a follower and a disciple. And this This last point is one of the main distinctions. Believers are focused on the fact that Jesus has died for their sins and in him they can have salvation. Followers may begin to pay attention to the needs of other people as they obey Jesus's commands, but it's the call of discipleship to lay down our lives so that others can live. This is, in a sense, the pinnacle of Christian maturity. To live a life of sacrifice so that others might experience life in Christ. We return to Paul, again, for an example of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, you know, Paul traveled to plant churches. He traveled to uh, encourage and build up churches that had already been planted. He traveled a lot and did a lot of ministry on the road. And he he always had a kind of a band of brothers with him. He had little teams that would go out with him. And and so the we here, I think, refers to those who, who were alongside of Paul in ministry. It says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us but life in you. Skip to verse 15. He says, Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. I think to be fully mature as a disciple of Christ is to understand that your life is best spent when you live it not for yourself, but you live it for the sake of helping others experience life in Christ. And when that permeates every area of your life, when that permeates how you use your time, your energy, your resources, the gifts that God has given you, when you begin to to embrace this idea that the best thing I can do for my life is to lay it down that others might experience life in the gospel. That is the maturity that Paul calls us to. That is the maturity that Jesus called. He, When he starts with those disciples in the beginning of the gospels, he just says, come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then at the end, three years later, before he leaves them, he calls them to lay down their lives. He literally tells some of them, This this is going to cost you your life. Are you ready to die for the gospel? For us, the challenge is to live in a way that we're constantly dying. To live in a way that we're constantly dying to the desires to live for ourselves. Dying to the desire to live for the things of this world. So that we might experience the life of Jesus in our flesh. One more scripture. Mark chapter 8, verse 34-35. It says of Jesus, Calling the crowds along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. This is here is a great secret of the kingdom of heaven that true life is actually found in laying down your life for the gospel. I realize these are, these are hard words. Jesus realized these are hard words. He knew not everyone would be up to the call. He knew not everyone would accept this this command to lay down their lives in order to experience life, but to those who do respond, to those who commit themselves to being disciples of Christ, who make other disciples of Christ, he promises an eternal kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we consider these words and what it means to take up our cross, to die daily, For the sake of following you. As we consider the example that we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who came that he might die. So that we might live. May we imitate that example. May we in every way be followers of Jesus Christ. Teach us the joy of living for your eternal kingdom.